when I look back at the probably 600 casting workshops that I did, I'm trying to do the math on it because I know I spent around $40,000 on casting workshops. But here's the thing. I made that money back in the first three months I was working on television. Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your co-host, AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott. And coming up in episode 235, we spend some time with the other side of the pay-to-play workshop conversation and sit down for our first pro-workshop actor interview with David H. Lawrence the 17th. He's a longtime working actor and entrepreneur, and David takes a hard pro-workshop stance. And in this episode, he shares what he's learned from attending some 600, yes, 600-plus paid casting director workshops. But it's not all about results. David shares about the importance of being ready, being smart, being open to the feedback, and investing in your business for the long haul. That and more coming up in episode 235. Stick around. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, V as in voiceover, VO, the number two, GoGo.com slash start. So what's up, man? How you doing? Um, my biggest piece of news this week has nothing to do with uh, the entertainment industry necessarily, and I'm going to save it for my pick of the week. So I have I have nothing to talk about. That's right. That, my friend, is good content. <laughs> all right. All right. Hey, I've got more voiceover classes coming up uh, this coming Sunday, May 22nd in Hollywood. If you want to learn about how to apply cold reading skills to voiceover scripts, if you want to learn about voicing news and information products, and if you want to learn about, and this is a huge payday when you book this kind of work, voicing IVR and phone prompts, this class is the class to come to. May 22nd, 5 p.m. in Hollywood. Go to vo2gogo.com to um, actually vietogogo.com slash Hollywood to learn more about the classes and sign up. What does IVR stand for? IVR stands for interactive voice response. So ah. it's, you know, it's those, those phone menus where people are like, press one for locations, press two for store hours, press three to talk to a live person, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, people, the, the sort of going rate for that kind of work is $50 per prompt. And if you've got a tree, a phone tree of like, you know, conservatively 50 prompts, you can do the math on that. It's, it's pretty sweet. That's money. Yeah. And there's all, there are, there's like at any given point, there's hundreds, if not thousands of, of new businesses looking to install phone systems like that across the, the country. So this is really great work to get into. 
So there you go. Fiotogoga.com slash Hollywood. Come join us this Sunday, May 22nd. So, so no news at all, huh? No, no. I mean, I mean, yes, I have news, but it's not entertainment industry related. And I will, right. I will uh, talk about it, you know, when I do my pick of the week. All right. All right. Cool. Well, we do have, uh, in addition to David's voice on this episode, we have two other voices we're excited to be sharing. And that is the voice of longtime listener, supporter, awesome person, and Ms. in the Biz founder, Helena Santos. And she had a question for us. And she recruited none other than the... Uh, incomparable Ben Mathis, who we recently featured on the show in a three-part interview. I love Ben's philosophy on acting. It's all about acting as service, art as service, as communion with other souls, <laughs> right up my alley. So uh, Helena asks the question and Ben offers his response. Hey, Trevor and AJ, this is Helena Santos calling. I had a quick question or comment or just something I thought we should be discussing um, that I think... I don't think has been covered in the inside acting community before. So I had a really good discussion with my friend Ben Mathis, who you've had on the show. And this is something that sort of was sparked in me after listening to all of the discussion around Ali's issue when she called in talking about the acting teacher who said she was a bad actor, quote unquote, because she didn't want to do a specific scene in class that um, hit too close to home. And it was something that she needed to deal with on her own time, um, perhaps in therapy. It was something that was not suitable for an acting class. I have a lot to say on that topic and that teacher, but I'm not going to right now. Instead, Ben and I had a really great discussion because I said to him that all too often throughout my career and throughout so many careers of other people that I've talked to about this subject, actors are taught and coached how to get into a really deeply emotional place that can be sometimes dark and dangerous. Um, and we live in this muck and we deal with these characters and these situations, but then nobody teaches you how to get back out. It's something that I've asked coaches time and time again, great, I'm going into this dark place. Now, what are the skills? What are the tools? How on earth do I get back out of this? Because it's something that permeates you psychologically and emotionally, and it can be really, really difficult. So I asked Ben, and this is what he had to say. Okay, this is a great question, and I think you're right. This isn't something that acting teachers tend to get too much into because so much emphasis is put on the front part of expression, not on the back part of expression, the decompression of expression. But let me make one thing very clear first. Um, what I'm about to say, I I'm not talking about someone who's dealing with real trauma, and I'm not talking about how to remove yourself from uh, real trauma that's happened in your life, significant wounds. There are times when we need a professional and we have to seek that help. It's the healthy and responsible thing for any artist to do. So let me put that to the side. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the actor who dives very deep into a fictional experience, has a truthful um, emotional response to it, and lives it fully and truthfully. And then after they call cut or after the curtain falls, the actor is like, ah, what do I do now? Because now the rest of my day is ruined. <laughs> um, and I think there's a way that we can exit out of a deep emotional experience. So let me go through that really quickly. It's not gonna take too long, I don't think, because it ain't rocket surgery. The first thing we have to realize is that we were meant to experience emotion. 
Bodies are meant to deal with emotion. We're meant to experience it. We are not as fragile as sometimes we'd like to give ourselves credit for being. In fact, emotion does not cause tension. Resistance to emotion causes tension. So the first place we have to begin is with a place of acceptance. And we have to understand that feeling something deeply is not bad and the residual effects of that are not bad. So the first thing we have to do is accept it and allow it. So here's what I want you to do. Every time you go through some very emotional scene or emotional moment and you exit from it or you're doing homework and it becomes very emotional and you're trying to exit out of it, I want you just to sit in it for about five minutes and allow it to be that. And allow yourself to be comfortable being uncomfortable and just sit in the residual kind of leftover emotion, even as you allow your mind and your body to come back to uh, this present reality and out of the fiction. Just allow yourself to sit in it for a little bit. Allow the body to experience it then you're gonna realize there's really nothing wrong with it. Number two, here's what I want you to do. After you've allowed it for about five minutes, I just want you to breathe. And I don't want you to breathe it out. I don't want you to try to get rid of it. I want you to breathe in it and around it and see what that does. The breath is kind of the conduit between, kind of the glue between uh, an, an experience and an expression. So as you begin to experience it, uh, the residual effects of it, just breathe and let the breath do its job. Then what I want you to do, and here's really the key. The brain is a very interesting thing, uh, and I could go on, but there are lots of studies that talk about how the brain holds on to negative uh, experience and negative emotions or pain, as we like to call them. I hate to say negative emotion, but uh, how the brain will hold on to that much longer than it will positive. However, um, we are absolutely in control. Some of the problem, uh, some of the fear sometimes and the panic that comes from feeling of something very deeply is that we feel like we're out of control. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit with it, allow it to be. I want you to experience it. I want you to breathe it. And then I want you to think of something beautiful. If the brain can convince the body that it's going through pain, the brain can also convince the body that it's going through pleasure. So I want you to think of something beautiful. It might be your kids. It might be um, a new job or your husband or your wife or just the sunset. I want you to think about something beautiful, but I don't want you to stop there. I want you to trace that beauty to cause. I want you to think about what it was that caused the beauty. I want you to think about where the beauty came from, if it was, um, it, it, you know, if it was your anniversary, you know, with your husband or your wife, I want you not just to think about the anniversary. I want you to think about what caused that anniversary and the first time you met and allow your mind to go into the depths of something beautiful. And I think in about five minutes, maybe more, maybe less, depending on your experience, I think things are going to start to turn around for you. And you're going to really realize that you have the choice. You can enter into a deep emotional experience and you can exit out of it. It's all very much within your power. Just do these three simple things. Allow it, accept it, experience it, and move through it. I hope this helps. Thank you, Ben Mathis. Thank you, Helena Santos. And thank you for bringing something that I don't think has ever been really discussed in depth on the podcast and how grateful are we to have Ben be the one to do it because if we tried to do what he just did 
we probably would have spent several episodes fumbling all over ourselves. <laughs> he, he did it about four minutes and 58 seconds or something like that. I mean, just, you know, succinct um, and and helpful, supportive to uh, all, all of you um, actors and other artists who really uh, allow yourselves to go there, as it were. Um, yeah, that was just fantastic. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think I said this back when we had him on the podcast that those were just, you know, put on repeat type episodes. And, and now this little snippet is also, you know, press play and put on repeat. Yeah, I, I, I love that there's a, a nice m- meshing of the sort of spiritual aspect and the emotional aspect of doing this work and like brain science. Like he says in the uh, in his response, you know, if the brain can go to a, a uh, n- sort of emotionally negative place and can convince itself it's having a negative experience, the brain can also convince itself it's having a positive experience. And that's all about like visualization uh you know you can even get a little nlp in there it's it's pretty fun stuff man and i i love that stuff we don't usually go into like acting technique type stuff on the show just because that's a never-ending rabbit hole that uh is very personal and that's kind of what class is for but uh very honored and and uh, happy and excited to have this kind of conversation unfold on the podcast uh, anything else we want to chat about before we jump into this uh, pro workshop interview segment with David H. Lawrence Seventeenth? I think that this convert obviously this this issue is going to cause a lot of conversation, and and you and I are going to sort of address some of the main points of what David talks about after the interview. So we'll give our listeners a chance to to hear it first, and then we'll kind of dive into it some of those those bullet points cool i i do want to offer just a quick couple little disclaimers right up top here uh number one is that billy and david billy demota who we spent the last three episodes uh interviewing and david h Lawrence 17th who you're about to hear um have a sort of long and public and storied history of duking it out on the internet they have a definite definite like ideology clash uh that you can find on the internet um <laughs> you so, can be that line. so um you know this if, if we were ever gonna like feature two completely contrasting conflicting points of view on the show the these would be it i mean it doesn't get any more sort of dramatic <laughs> and and public than this uh but that's a good thing you know who who gets to, who wins in this conversation the listeners so, so that's number one. And number two, David, just full transparency, David is a longtime uh, sponsor and supporter of the podcast. He is the guy behind the guy behind VOTagogo.com. And he is also the creator of Rehearsal of the App and Rehearsal Pro, which is coming soon. Just full transparency. Okay, cool. Enjoy this pro workshop segment with David Storms the 17th. And we'll talk to you on the other side. for 
um, being pro-workshop, and you've got a great website that's incredibly informative called BeFreeToChoose.org that lays out uh, basically all the reasons why paid cast director workshops are a great idea and very empowering for actors. That website was not built to glorify casting workshops because I'm with I'm with uh, uh, others that say, you know, occasionally the bad apple does a casting workshop just for the money, not looking for new talent. And that's that's certainly the case. And I, I understand that. And I understand how people would be upset by that. But this site was not set up to glorify that. This site was set up so that people knew that they had the right to use their money the way they want to use their money without anybody interfering with them. You know, I mean, it's a be free to choose was not chosen capriciously. And if I wanted to make a website, the glorified websites, I'd probably make a website called websites are awesome dot com or, or sorry, uh, casting workshops. Workshops are awesome dot com. I'd love to hear sort of in a little bit more detail um, how casting director workshops are really beneficial in their current form for for actors. Well, it depends. I mean, you know, uh, some casting workshops are great. Some casting workshops are okay. Some casting workshops, you know, are horrifying. Uh, when you get into a casting workshop and the casting director uh, doesn't offer you any more feedback or any more knowledge than, uh, you know, the cursory, yeah, don't bring a gun into the audition, you know, or uh, when, when they review what you've done on stage with your scene partner, that was great. Who's next? You know, if that's the if that's the overall uh, pace of the workshop, it was not a great workshop. And unfortunately, uh, that happens from time to time. It doesn't happen all that often, though. You know, when I look back at the hmm, probably 600 casting workshops that I did, I'm trying to do the math on it because I know I spent around $40,000 on casting workshops. But here's the thing. I made that money back in the first three months I was working on television. And I had a wealth of knowledge that others struggle with. I had relationships with these casting directors that continue to this day. And it was because, A, I was ready to do workshops, and B, I was smart about how I did workshops and who I was going after. I didn't do things like target lists of shows I'd like to be on. Because to me, that's pretty useless. I can't predict what shows are going to want to see me for, for particular types of characters or what those types of characters are all about. Any actor who's worth their salt is going to have multidimensional aspects to why casting directors pull them in. Are they bringing me in because I'm bald? Are they bringing me in because I'm old? Are they bringing me in because I have a beard? Are they bringing me in because I'm creepy? Are they bringing me in because I'm funny? But, you know, all of the, I see different sort of Venn diagrams forming around the groups of actors that I see all the time at, at casting workshops, depending upon why they're calling me in. So you can't predict who's going. If you told me, you know, 10 years ago, hey, you're going to be doing all these Disney and, and Nickelodeon shows. I'm like, what? What are you, crazy? I'm a, I'm a creepy, evil, you know, puppet master on a, on a creepy, evil show. What are you talking about? You know, you can't predict what's coming down the pike. So being prepared for as much as possible is my mantra. You said uh, I was ready for uh, you know, casting directors. What do you mean by ready? Do you mean that you I was, seen... was it just the branding aspect, or was no, there... no, no, no? I'm talking about the big elephant in the room. Are you good enough as an actor? I look at this as a business. Okay, if I was running a plumbing supply sales operation where I sold pipes and wrenches and all that sort of thing, if my product wasn't ready to show to the buyer at Lowe's or Home Depot, I would be stupid to show them to him or her. 
if I'm not ready as an actor to show my customers what I'm capable of doing. And it's look, I get it's hard to know if you are ready or not. But I'll tell you, when you spend your whole time on stage looking down at your script and then up at your, your, your partner waiting for their response and then down at your script, you're not ready. Mm. And I've seen people use the idea that casting workshops are a shortcut. Uh, they get you in and get you in faster and you can see agents and you can see casting directors and all that sort of thing. But they forget the whole idea of, am I ready to do this work? Am I ready to show my wares to a particular client. And until I was ready, I spent three, four years not going anywhere near auditions or, or, or I knew about casting workshops beforehand, uh, you know, but I just didn't feel like I was ready. And then when I finally started looking at myself doing student films and saying, you know what, I think I can do this now. That's when I started to get, it was the Abraham Lincoln method, right? Spend 45 minutes of the hour sharpening your ax and then you can cut down the tree in 10 minutes, right? You also said something that I'm, I'm really interested in sort of honing in on, especially since, uh, you know, as Trevor said, we talked to Billy uh, for so long about this whole issue. You were talking about the idea that like some of them are horrible, like just nightmarish. Some of them are fantastic and some of them, some of them are right in the middle. And with all of the guidelines that the CSA has put out and all of the, um, you know, the laws that are out there around, um, you know, paying for a, a, a job interview, especially in California state, you know, labor laws, what do you think needs to happen in order to make it so that they're like the nightmare ones go away and we're left with you know, something that is actually a useful tool for actors. I don't think you can. I, I don't think you can do that any more than you can do that with how do we get rid of all the bad actors in town to clear the noise floor so that we can all get more work. I mean, how, how do you, you can't, you can't legislate quality. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you can't create a law that says every casting workshop has to be fantastic. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. What you can do is you can, uh, you know, speak with your fellow actor uh, sample a casting director at, at a workshop. I've seen casting directors three, four, five times. One of them took me aside uh, when I went to see him the last time I went to see him and said, don't you ever come to one of my casting workshops again. And I'm like, what? Because I thought I'd ticked him off or something. He's like, no, I know who you are. I love what you do. You're always at least in the side of my head when, when I'm looking for certain characters. And he'd called me in for stuff. I just want to maintain a relationship. I don't, you know, I actually wear your shirt proudly. Don't, don't create relationships, you know, network. Don't, what does it say? I never look down to look at this. <laughs> build relationships, not build relationships. Right. Yeah. And the way to build relationships is not to show up at a casting workshop once, be all smiley and happy and, you know, who knows what the casting director is going to come away with with your work but show them that you can carry a tune go time and again and meet them either at a workshop or at a mixer or at a sag event a sag after event but don't don't think that that one moment that you spend 40 bucks or more going to a casting workshop is going to be the end you know we, we look at these things as projects to be accomplished the project to be accomplished is your career, and it's a never-ending project. It's a living, breathing organism that you have to maintain over time. And casting workshops and uh, other events that bring you into the sphere of influence of your, uh, of your uh, potential customers, which casting directors are one set of your customers. The writers and the directors and the producers uh, are the other set. They're the ones that actually can say yes to you. 
So they're they're also very important customers. You know, <laughs> I can't <clears throat> I can't stress enough that it's not a one hit and then you're done. You know, I mean, people sometimes have a really weird idea of how to get around in this business, and that's 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 not it. What what are the other things, David? I mean, if you maybe maybe we're talking to an actor who's reticent or or hesitant to 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 go to these to these workshops or or go to the the same one. I mean, because you you even ran into it, right? You went to the same you know workshop multiple times until finally someone said stop doing this. What? How well, else? Here's what he said. You, it wasn't like fun? don't. Okay, he said stop doing it uh, because. He knew me and right, he knew right. why I was trying to do it. it. It wasn't like you're you're not right for this. Right. And no, I wish more casting directors would say that. I really do. If you get feedback from your customer that says, you know what, your product isn't good enough yet. I can't put it on my shelf. That is extraordinarily valuable information. Now, it may be unfortunate. It may be saddening. It may be disheartening. But it's the truth for them. And you should hear that truth. If you're not hearing the truth in that statement, if you're just simply saying to yourself, they don't know what they're talking about, I'm awesome, well, then you've got other problems that are beyond the scope of this particular discussion. But the idea that you uh, are ready for workshops to answer your original question is something that you need to sort of take the pulse of in other areas of your work. There's no shame in waiting and there's no shame in getting better. It's just part of the process. And, and, and I guess my second question was, what, el- what else do you do or what else do you recommend that actors do if they, are, if they do feel ready in order to maintain the relationship besides the casting director, or in addition to, I should say, the casting director workshops? Be aware of what other events are going on. Is there a mixer going on for LA <clears throat> Casting? Is there uh, something going on for uh, SAG-AFTRA or the foundation? Is the Actors Fund holding a particular thing? Is there something that you can uh, attend that includes uh, the presence of casting directors? And then how you handle that is also really important. There are people who go to these events and they basically stalk casting directors. And I, you know, I look at that and I go, what a, what a disingenuous, counterproductive way of conducting your life. You know, be aware, get the things from the casting director that you want from casting workshops sans doing work in front of them. Because the truth is, if I'm going to sit here and say <clears throat> casting workshops are not just about performing for a casting director and maybe getting on their radar, it's also about the knowledge that they give you. And the experience that they share and the feedback process that they show other actors, you know, you can get some of those things at these other events. What you can't get is getting up in front of them and reading from a script. And that's the big elephant in the room. Here's the real big elephant in the room. The only reason that Billy DeMota and Paul Krikorian and Dia Weiss and all these other people who are against casting workshops are against casting workshops is because they cost a considerable amount of money. And for some actors, they don't have that money. Now, I could be really gross and crass and say, boo-hoo, go get a better job, get money, because money is the advantage. And that would be truthful, but it would also be very, very... um, Uh, off-putting and very, uh, you know, uh, offensive to some people because there is a divide in our business just as there is a divide in any other business. There are people who have the resources to market themselves, the resources to do things that cost money, and there are people who are struggling every single day just to meet the rent, just to pay the car payment, just to pay their food, and I get that. Unfortunately, and this is just the, the heart of the matter, those that have money have an advantage. 
If casting workshops were five bucks, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But because they're between, you know, 15 and $60, depending upon where you go, all of a sudden we're having the conversation because it's a considerable amount of money to some people who grouse about the fact that they don't have enough money to do these, these sessions, these workshops, and other people do, and they feel that that's unfair. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this as politely as I can. When those people begin to experience success... I will guarantee you that they will move to a better home, they will buy a better car, they will eat better food, they will take care of other things that require money because they have the money. In, in that case, that's the exact same thing. Their fellow actors are still suffering. The ones that don't have money, the ones that don't have success yet, are still suffering with a lower tier of resources. The ones that have money, and before I got into acting, I built a war chest. I worked my butt off to put away lots of money because I knew it would be a while before I got success. I was in it for the long haul. And that's the real argument that we're having here, right? But nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to say, oh, it's because of the money. Or they say it and they demonize casting directors. Do you guys know how much casting directors make? I don't either. I can tell you this. They wouldn't be drawn to casting workshops if they were overpaid and underworked. <laughs> if, if they were doing it by, for the money. I know that most of the casting directors that I saw, because they've called me in after the, after the workshop, they've seen what I've done. Occasionally they've said wonderful things like, where the hell have you been all my life? How come I don't know you? You know, I love when that happens or when they're just, play, you know, surprised and delighted at what they saw because they look at me, the schlub, and they think, how good could he possibly be? And then when I get on stage and I, and I give them what they want, in spades, and they end up creating this connection because they're, I'm now useful to them, right? So that's great. The ones that have come in and said, hey, that was great. Who's next? I mean, I get it. I'm, I'm just as disappointed as everybody else in the room. And oddly enough, that one person that I'm talking about uh, in particular that's sticking in my head has never called me in for anything. And that person casts several sitcoms. Just to put a bow on all this, if, if you had an actor uh, come up to you and say, you know, like, I think I'm ready. I feel ready. I've done a lot of student films, put in my, you know, put in my work. How could I most strategically go about this, this workshop thing? What would be the sort of succinct, nuggetized advice that you would offer that person? Uh, I would say be sure you're ready. Don't just take your own word for it because we tend to either minimize or unfortunately maximize our uh, self-assessment of our abilities. Um, but if you're getting the kind of feedback where you, the films you're in are winning, uh, uh, festivals and, you know, the director's like, oh my God, you've saved my bacon, you know, uh, other actors like, dude, you killed it. You know, whatever it is, whatever kind of feedback that you're getting, that's great. And then what I would do is go after the biggest fish, the low hanging fruit, the largest offices that have the most shows. And set aside this idea that, you know, I'd really like to do procedurals. You know, I'd really like to do um, kids sitcoms. I want to be the next Disney princess. You know, stop trying to predict your future. Stop trying to predict at all the kinds of success that you'll be offered because you don't know. You have no clue what's coming down the pike. So do the things that uh, meet the people who you think would be most effective on a broadest scale in helping you get a foothold in the industry. 
And don't just go to casting workshops. Go to workshops that, that some casting offices hold, or uh, workshop places hold that have writers and directors and producers like, like uh, Connect Studios LA. You know, uh, go to, go to uh, Act Now where you can build a relationship over uh, several weeks. That's invaluable. You see the same person the second week, it's a whole different dynamic. Uh, you know, I, and I'm not just singling those two out. There are plenty of other great workshops in town. But again, this is a decision that if I was in any other business would be a no-brainer. And there would be no politician who, by the way, charges $1,000 a plate for fundraising dinners. And isn't it funny how those people that attend those dinners get first dibs on appointments with that particular politician to get stuff done. While you and I, the non-$1,000 a plate person, has to try to find a way to squeeze into their schedule. So it happens in every business. You go seeking your customers, you spend a marketing budget to do so, and you find them, or you don't. You find out that your product isn't ready for the marketplace. One more follow-up question before we <clears throat> wrap up this segment. Um, what would you say to the actor that has a very limited budget but is ready for this kind of thing? Get a better job, stop spending money on cigarettes, Stop spending money on liquor. Stop spending money on uh, a significant other. Decide whether or not your budget should be reapportioned in a way that helps your career rather than your pleasure. And I realize that's pretty harsh advice, but the truth of the matter is, is this is a decision. You know, if you're going to go work somewhere and make money and set it aside for your career, do so for your career. And you can always make the choice not to do casting workshops. Nobody's forcing you to do that. David, you brought up the, you know the, the the analogy of the politician, and it's so interesting that e even in that world, there is obviously this. Um, I, I wouldn't say sea change, but maybe a growing movement toward the idea of you know, well, with you know Bernie Sanders and stuff, the democratic socialism. Like it, it's it's yeah, good luck with it, that. Right, exactly. In in the context of the entertainment industry, it's it's there. How would you ever create? Um, some sort of like even playing field. Here's what um, I want to know. As far as the what money does, aspect goes, yeah. you know. What does an even playing field look like? What would make Bernie Sanders and his ilk happy? If everybody had $28,700, is that what he wants? Does he want complete socialism, communism, even playing field all the way? You still have to spend that money. You have to go places, spend the money. That means the moment you spend $500 on something, the person that you gave the $500 to has more than $28,700. And all of a sudden, the playing field is no longer even. Mm -hmm. So when you turn around and, and look at how bad capitalism is and how bad our society is, realize that the alternatives are even worse. And the idea that we deify people who are wealthy, people who are successful, people who are uh, have achieved the kind of accomplishments that we all would like to achieve. This very podcast is designed to help actors achieve a better acting life. Would that be a, a fair assessment? Yeah. Okay. So the moment that happens, the moment somebody gets the part, people often say this is a zero-sum game, right? You know, or this is not a zero-sum game. Everybody's, you know, all ships rise with the tide and all those platitudes that if if you're just a better actor and everybody else is a better actor, everybody's going to be happier. Guess what? One person gets cast. And when that person gets cast, the other people are instantly not cast. And so because of that, if you want to compete in the industry, you have to wake up and realize that there are certain functions and processes and standards that you have to meet in order to move forward. 
Nobody is sitting there as a as a YouTube phenom making a hundred thousand dollars a month, thinking, "Oh, I'm, I still haven't made it yet." I, 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 this 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 really makes me boil. It makes me boil because there are people who want everything to be as even as possible. Those people often work for NPR and run talk shows there, where they take both sides of the story, as you guys are, which I appreciate. But the truth of the matter is, is that. Successful talk shows and successful uh, uh, commentators that, that are, are asked to give their opinion, they dig in, they take a position, and then they let everybody argue with them. They don't stop and go, oh, yeah, you know what? Maybe you're right. Have you ever heard Rush Limbaugh do that? So there are things that you need to pay attention to to be successful. Some of them may be distasteful to you because you've been raised to think a certain way. If you embrace the idea that you are running a business and you use business rules to run that business rather than emotional or political or, uh, you know, uh, 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 thoughts of, of evenness and, and, uh, and, and well-being. Toward, I mean, be nice to people, but understand that you're in this business to be successful. You've declared yourself a professional actor. That means you want to be successful. Certainly, you should be nice. But you should also take care of yourself first. And with that, I'll stop talking. <laughs> Two words right off the bat. Tough love. Hmm. This interview kind of messed me up a little bit um, in a good way. And I have several things that I want to talk about and, and sort of posit slash uh, ask of our listeners, if you will. But I'm curious to hear, since you and I haven't really had a chance to talk since we did this interview, um, at least not in any great length, I'm, I'm curious to hear what your what your thoughts are on the, on the sort of the major uh, bullet points of, of what he talks about. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, after talking to Billy, and I've always been sort of I mean, just kind of not into the workshop thing. I, I've had a, I've had a lot of, not a lot, but I would say probably half of the workshops I've attended, and I haven't attended many. Uh, but half of them just didn't feel good. They felt kind of icky, and and it was clear to me that the the person that I was, you know, in the workshop with the the associate or the casting director, like wasn't terribly interested uh in the actors that were doing the work and i'd say like the actors that i've experienced in workshops are actually usually really good um mm. but i just it just didn't sit right with me and I'm, i've always been the kind of guy that's a little bit more like wants to sort of make his own stuff and way and that's kind of what i'm most interested in is is that aspect of it but david brings up some really really solid points about running your business and having a budget for marketing and and uh, building relationships and taking the long view and being smart and not doing things until you're like, I so admire and uh, and inspired by and and see David as and his philosophy especially as sort of a mentorship um, um, entity in my life uh, because he just he gets it and he he knows how to build a profitable business and it's it's clear if you look at his career I mean he he started in the industry later in life i think he was in his like 40s or so when he finally just just was like i'm gonna be an actor and he did it smart you know he did it right and he's built up a really successful career he works all the time and he's got obviously great you know voiceover classes that he teaches that again full disclaimer i teach as well but 
I've learned so much from him. And, uh, and I thought that I was pretty set in my anti-workshop ways until we sat down with David. And now I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) damn, yeah, you're right. That's funny. Well, let me ask you this before I I chime in here. Uh, What aspects of the interview or what points does he make that that have you sort of uh, feeling that way? It, specifically, and he talks about this in the in the voiceover classes as well. When he says, "If I was running a, a plumbing supply business," and then he sort of draws the parallels from there, you know, like I wouldn't put my product up for sale to Home Depot or Lowe's until it was absolutely ready. But then again, if you're running a plumbing supply business. It's like, yes, you could have a website and videos of your plumbing products and stuff, but you're not going to do nearly as much business with your Twitter feed and your Instagram and your website as you are if you're going directly to your buyers and asking for the sale, showing them your wares and saying, let's do business. I mean, that's one thing I'm learning from uh, Eben Pagan. I'm doing this Wake Up Productive um, uh, like e-course again. I think I've talked about this before. 12-week course, and one of the things he talks about is sort of focusing on the high-leverage activities in your life and your business and putting them first in the day. And if you're unsure about what those high-leverage activities are, the things that are going to bring you the most lifetime value, the most monetary value, the most um, satisfaction in your life, he says, just know that right off the bat, they're not things that come easily. They they don't come to you. They're things that you're going to have to go out and ask for or go out and pursue. Those are typically the high value and high leverage activities. And I think casting director workshops uh, and connecting with your buyers and your customers falls in that category. You know, it's like if you make mm. a if you make a film and then you just put it up on your website uh, or you show it to a few friends and maybe they show it to their casting director friends. Like that's one way to go about it. But like if you're submitting to festivals and going out and meeting people and and, you know, it costs money to submit to festivals. We could arguably have the same conversation about submitting your film to film festivals that we have about casting director workshops. Um, but if you know if you're doing that, you have a much higher chance of having that film accepted and being shown and developing a fan base and an audience and and possibly a, a studio deal. Yeah. So that that yeah, that stuff is the stuff that really resonates with me. Got it. Got it. How about you? <laughs> Well, yeah, the thing that hit me, I think the hardest, and I've been thinking about it ever since actually, is the the money stuff. Because <clears throat> first of all, he talks about it in a few different aspects or a few different ways. You know, first he talks about how, you know, the casting director workshops weren't so expensive or if they were five dollars, we wouldn't necessarily be having this conversation. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm sure Billy would because, you know, he has said, like, you know, they shouldn't be taking a, a, a dime, you know, let alone $40 or whatever it is from actors. Um, but uh, but, you know, he said if, we, if they were five dollars, wouldn't we have this conversation? So in other words, if they were if they were if they were less expensive and the only reason that we get into these conversations is because they cost money and actors don't usually have a lot of money. But then he says that's essentially our fault. I mean, he doesn't say that I'm putting words in his mouth, but he basically says like it is the onus is on the actor to generate the money that they're going to use for their career and money abundance, my relationship with it, our relationship with it, our meaning artists, meaning not just Trevor and I, but our listeners and the and the uh, entertainment industry at large, our relationship to money is something that has always fascinated me 
it, it, it has taken me a long time to grow with, with regards to my, you know, my relationship to money. And so having somebody say, you know, it's your job to make sure you have enough money to invest in your career, just like any other business, right? It's not free to, to do any other business. There aren't a lot of businesses out there that don't require some form of capital in order to not only get things started, but then maintain them over time. And so we've had plenty of people come on the show and say, you know, Jenna Fisher, come on the show and say, get a good job, make sure that you can, uh, you know, pay your rent and buy your headshots and like all the, all these things. And obviously we've talked about on the podcast, the whole concept. And I think I talk about this in our next interviews, uh, uh, about pro workshop. There's no limit to the number of ways that an actor can write a check in this town. But the, but the fact of the matter is there are smart things that we must spend our money on, like headshots, like a, a, a reel, like maybe postcards if that's your thing, or marketing in some capacity. Um, you know, the, maybe it's like the right clothes for the audition. Maybe it's a haircut. Maybe it's a gym membership. There are things that we I, – I, I hesitate to say must, but it's true. It's like there are things that we've got to spend our money on in order to support our career. And if you don't have that, and so many, so many actors struggle. And I get that a lot of people struggle and sometimes it's hard to find a job out there, but, but we have maintained so for so long, find the right job that allows you to be an actor and be successful. Meaning you can make enough money. You can make plenty of money to not only feed yourself, and put a roof over your head, but also invest in your career and be able to go out on auditions, be able to be flexible enough that you're not going to lose your job. And if you can't do that, then you should walk. Well, the same thing I feel like goes for getting a job that is lucrative enough or that you just stay in and you don't act. And that's all you do is focus on that job. That's lucrative enough that you can build up a little. Uh, I think you know uh, David even says that he built up he built up this little uh, almost like a nest egg, like this. You know, he had like forty thousand dollars or something in the bank before he really started. You know, pushing hard on the acting side of things. No one tells us this. No one talks about this. No one. In, no one in college ever said to me, "Make sure you have a good job." And you've built up a savings and you're good to go because like I've struggled. I don't struggle as much anymore. Um, money is still a factor, but it's not a struggle. There's a difference. There's yeah. a difference yeah. being smart. Of, and there's a difference between smart and frugal and specific with your money uh, but and struggling. And I struggled for a long time. And I know a lot of people do. And the thing is, is like we shouldn't be. We shouldn't, not only should we not be struggling, we should be thriving so that we can then spend our money on. And I think that the, I think the way that David talks about it in this interview, regardless of whether or not you're going to spend money on workshops, is hard for us to hear, but necessary. And that's the thing that's been sort of hitting me really hard lately is like, you know, I had this sort of visceral reaction to what he was saying. And I was like, why am I? Why am I reacting this way? Not not necessarily with anger, but just like with like uh, like like the bottom dropping out of my stomach. Like, oh, this hurts. This hurts to hear. Why am I Why am I hearing it this way? And for the most part, uh, I mean, I don't want to generalize, but I feel like a lot of actors would hear that and sort of react in this way. Like, well, f you, man. Like, 
no, I don't have money, and f you for for thinking that like that's why I'm complaining. Hmm. Well, the the thing is, is like it's kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hear so many actors in the Ain't It Awful Club, which we have oh, talked yeah. about, and the awful thing is, I don't have money. And the thing is, is like you know what? That's 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 your responsibility. Hmm. It's your responsibility. And just because you're not making any money as an actor or an artist yet doesn't mean that you can't be making money at all. Mm -hmm. And there's and you've just got to do whatever it is that you've got to do. And so it just like I said, that the money thing is what probably what hit me the hardest in this interview. Mm. And um, and I and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. And, 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 and thank goodness it's actually come at a time like so much of this podcast has come at the exact perfect moment in my life and your life, Trevor, I know you've shared this, you know, exact sentiment with me before, but so many of this podcast has come at the perfect moment for us in our lives. And right now I have been so focused on generating abundance that hearing this was this great motivator, like hell Yeah. And I'm doing it and things are going well and I'm paying off debt and I'm, you know, uh, putting myself in a position such that if I wanted to do a $40 workshop, the money would not be the question. The question would be, is this casting director one of those casting directors that's actually going to give a shit or are they there mm-hmm. just to collect a paycheck? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, and I get off my soapbox. No, <laughs> dude, that was awesome. Uh- Yes, yes, yes. In fact, in my pick of the week, and let's just transition to this now because it's a nice segue. Um, in my pick of the week, which is a documentary called Catching the Sun, which is about the booming and more to be booming solar industry. Um, they, they profile some of the people who are trained to install solar panels and how the green you know, energy, clean, sustainable energy movement is, is just like there's a lot of income potential, a lot of money in this in this movement uh, because we have to go there. We have to. So it could be employ a ton of people while greening our economy. But in that, they focus on this one guy. I forget the, the guy's name. He's like a you know 20 year old kid. He's a, he dropped out of college because it just wasn't for him. And he talks about his father who passed away um, when he was younger. But his father always telling him, like, it is up to you. It is up to every man to lift himself up by the bootstraps and create his own success. Like it is essential to that person's character. It is essential to that person's evolution. It is, uh, it is what, and he, the way he phrased it was kind of like very masculine. You know, it's what a man does. A man learns how to provide for himself and then eventually for his family. But you know, that applies just as much to, to anybody, to women as well. Um, it is you're absolutely right, man. I'm, I'm kind of getting like fired up listening to you speak because it is our responsibility. And it's also one of our biggest opportunities to level up as human beings. It's just to create abundance for ourselves, create a lifestyle for ourselves where scarcity is no longer a thing. And you can just look yeah. back at your life and say, I made this. I created this. I made the yeah. way. I made it happen. I wasn't a victim. I wasn't a slave. I didn't have to go, uh, you know, be subservient to somebody else for this. I freed myself. I made this happen. And now I have options. Now I have choices. And that is that I can think of no greater sense of satisfaction to know that just, you know, projecting forward, imagining, cause you know, I haven't quite arrived yet, but just knowing that like, you know what? I made this for myself, these options, this lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's my pick of the week. So I, 
I'm, si- I'm like sitting here, I'm, a, I'm sitting here sort of, um, like soaking it in. And, um, you know, sometimes when you see like a really good piece of art or listen to something or whatever, you just need a moment to, uh, process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm processing the interview, what you just said, your pick of the week, uh, what I said, <laughs> like it's all, the wheels are turning. By the way, my pick of the week, it, it, um, I don't have a great segue, but it's not completely off base because we're talking about lifestyle. We're talking about choices. We're talking about money. And, and money may have been a thing that would have kept me from, from, from doing this in the past. Um, and I just I don't like I don't let it stop me anymore. And you don't know this, Trev, Trev, so surprise, but Jasmine and I uh, just adopted a second kitty. Oh, I, I figured as much looking at your pick of the week on the outline here. <laughs> yeah, I we've wanted a little companion for Andre for a long time because, um, yeah, she, you know, she gets kind of lonely and she just she has a lot of energy and, we're, you know, we play with her a lot and it's almost doesn't seem like it's a lot. It's enough. So we wanted to get her uh, a little companion and we found her a little brother. Awesome. Uh, my pick of the week is um, a combination of things. First of all, the ASPCA, ASPCA.org. Um, I picked them because they're national. They're all over the country, but so that you know anybody listening to this can go. But if you're in Los Angeles and you've been thinking about it, there's this great place called uh, Adopt and Shop. Um, they're at adoption, adoptandshop.org. The links of, to both of these, of course, will be on our website. And um, that's where we got him and... and it, we've been looking for a while. We've been going into like pet stores and stuff like that um, when they were having adoption days, not to buy a pet, but of course to find someone that find one that was a rescue because um, that was really important to us. And Adoption Shop actually um, is sort of sourced, if you will, from um, the high, all the high kill shelters in, mm, in the area. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so they'll have like, you know, a shelter will call them and be like, we are, have like 80 cats or about to, you know, uh, kittens and mothers that we're about to euthanize if you want them and they'll go and they'll go and rescue them. So um, they're high, high, they, they pull in from high kill shelters. Um, they're nonprofit. Their entire staff is volunteer. Like it was mm. crazy. We went and there are all these people like really passionate, you know, wearing the staff shirts, but we found out they're all volunteer. Um, and you walk into this place that has dozens and dozens and dozens of animals in it, and it doesn't smell because they're taking such good care of the space and everything. So, anyway, I just wanted to give them a shout out um, and 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 to say, you know, I talked about this when we got Ange, although that was slightly less of a choice because we found her on the streets of Harlem. <laughs> but I talked about how you know um, it really is a an improvement in in one's lifestyle to have you know, something to take care of other than ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's human nature, man. I mean, I think for all the stories you hear about humans defiling and destroying and pillaging and all that stuff, I think if you were to look at any infant or any child under the age of five before they are taught otherwise, the natural instinct is to nurture, to grow, to cultivate, to take care of things. I mean, that's our natural instinct. We're not um, killers by 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 um, by design. You know, we're, we're our natural 
given God given like instinct is to just nurture and take care of things and be stewards of this world and other life and things like that. And I think pets especially bring that out in people. All right. Well, that is catching the sun documentary that you can find on Netflix, by the way, catching the sun.tv is the website for it. And then, uh, adoptandshop.org as well as ASPCA.org and links to both of those picks, uh, of the week are on our website. So check them out. Uh, that's about all, all the time we've got for this episode. So, uh, anything else you wanted to add before we get out of here? No, man, let's wrap this bad boy up. Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by yours truly, AJ Meyer, and of course, Trevor Algat. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Guberek is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. Timothy Patrick Waterman is our director of public relations. Trevor Algat edited and mixed today's episode, though of course we are on the lookout for a new technical director. And he also composed our theme and interview music. I don't think that's going to change if <laughs> we get a technical director. Uh, Fern Lim designed our logo. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes over at our website, InsideActing.net. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, basically anywhere you'd like to find us uh, on the social web or podcast-oriented web. And uh, wherever you do find us, especially iTunes, go ahead and leave us a review if you'd like. Uh, Five-star reviews are like putting a little tip in our tip jar, and, and they help other people find the show and see the value and subscribe. As well. Special thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro and VO2GoGo.com, and thanks to you, our listeners. If you love inside acting and want to maximize its value in your life and career and support the continued production of the podcast, sign up and get cool perks like access to our membership message board, cool freebies, invites to exclusive member meetups, and much, much more. Just visit InsideActing.net and click on the membership tab. And let me just say this I am having, I'm having a meeting tonight. Uh, and if all goes well, that membership is about to become epic, and the value and the value is about to explode. Um, Trevor, you know what I'm talking about, but you don't know exactly what I'm talking about because I didn't. T- I, I just found out. I was gonna say this is news to me, man. I just found. Well, I just found out this latest meeting is happening, but it's it's a follow up on a meeting I had uh, a while ago. Okay. Um, so you know what I'm talking about, but I will update you when we're done recording. Awesome. Please do. Please do. All right. That's it for episode 235 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, focus on the good. Focus on the good.